Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. Thanks for listening again. We are back for another episode, and Jim, it has been like three months since we've gotten together and recorded. What have you been up to? I've been hiding in an underground bunker. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I've been, I started a new job, been working a lot, working a lot, a lot. So we haven't had as much time to get together, plus the whole COVID issue. Yeah, I've been kind of struggling getting together or trying to record anything or even deciding what to record. And today we've got something a little bit different for you. We're not going to discuss one movie in particular or one series of movies in particular. Today we're going to talk about critics versus audiences and what they think about movies this is something that i brought up that i wanted to talk about and it really kind of came to me i spent a lot of time over the last year or two years watching a lot of like screen junkies and collider and stuff like that and seeing what they said when they were reviewing movies and very often i would see the same movie and come back and go did we even see the same movie because what they were saying, what they got out of the movie was nowhere near what I got out of the movie. Like Joker. I mean, Joker was a big one. I could see what they were saying about it. But when I watched it, I did not get anything that they were saying out of it, out of the movie myself. And it seems to be a, a lot. It's almost consistent enough that when a movie comes out and has very high critic reviews, I'm probably going to hate it. And if it has low critic reviews, I'm probably going to love it. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I have a tendency to pay more attention to audience score or user score. So if it was Rotten Tomatoes, it would be the audience score. Some other sites call it the user score. Yeah, I don't pay as much attention to critics because I have found a lot of times that I don't understand what they're looking at. Whether they like something or don't like something, I don't understand exactly what's going into that process sometimes. So I almost, almost ignore what the critics say and rely more on what the audience says. But that also doesn't always work. But there's definitely a disconnect there between what critics are looking at. Yeah. And this is uh, where I've always kind of felt it. And I've, I've seen it a lot. And I, I keep trying to move past it. But I keep coming back to this. I compare it to go to like an art museum or go to like an art, art show opening or something like that. I've never actually been to one. But from what I kind of gather for them, it's kind of you see it sometimes in movies as well. You see it. Where there's somebody that's like an art aficionado, they're staring at it like, oh, this symbolizes the darkness that they're trying to hold within and trying to free themselves and show every, all the pain and anguish. And you look at it, you're like, it's a black dot on a white canvas. It's a dot. Why? Where are you getting all of this artist intention from a black dot? Did they tell you that's what they felt? Is that what you're getting out of it? And that's what I feel like a lot of times when I'm listening to critic reviews of movies. I'm like, that's that's not what happened there. Or there's also a lot of movies, too. We're, we'll kind of go through a list of some of them. But there's a lot of movies that I watch it and I really like it. Not for any other reason. It's, it's entertaining. And it was a fun to watch. You look at the critics. They're like, oh, this was stupid. Nothing happened. There was no symbolism. There was nothing fantastic about it. But it was fun. 
It was enjoyable. It was entertaining. That's what a movie's supposed to be for me. It's supposed to be entertaining. It doesn't have to be this great art piece. I don't know. Am I offline? No, I don't think so. The art analogy is probably out of line, offline. You're not, hopefully you're not offline because otherwise we would not be recording. I wish I was offline. It'd be nice. <laughs> the art museum comparison is probably a good one. I've gone to art museums. I Where I went to college is actually across the street from an art museum. So I probably have been inside museums more often than you, but that well, doesn't. I've been to art museums. <laughs> I, just haven't, I, I just mean I haven't gone to like art openings or like specific no. artist shows. I've tried to go to a couple of those things, but yeah, they're sometimes uh, weird like you've described. It was actually a TV show or a movie that made fun of the very thing you were saying. Like there was a bunch of people standing around a spot on a, a space on the wall and there was a dot and they were talking about how it's this amazing symbolism of like the emptiness of the, the human soul trapped within a void. And then the people come by, it's like, oh, sorry, we haven't hung that one up yet. And then they put an actual painting in the blank spot <laughs> on the wall. I think I saw that. <laughs> So, yeah, there is sometimes it's like, what are the critics actually looking at? And they often do. And I guess sometimes there is also a difference between, quote unquote, critics. Like there are some like paid film critics who work for media outlets who it is their job to write something more meaningful than I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. So there's a little bit of a need to be a little bit more artistic or put more fancy words on the paper to justify the fact that they got paid for the review. Right. Uh, As well as amateurs who are also trying to make a name for themselves as film bloggers or film reviewers, or maybe were film school dropouts or film school graduates that feel that they need to bring different aspects to it. Like, look at how they're using the panning of the camera and that the, the different use of lighting from scene to scene is it's like, yeah, those are probably excellent technical execution of film craft but is that what the average moviegoer is really looking at would we even notice the difference yeah Yeah, exactly yeah but on the other side of things too i mean even listening to us talk about some of these movies there's big differences you see things you read things into movies all, all the time that i never even thought about putting into it and there's times where i look at something i'm like oh it was obvious that this meant this and you didn't catch that so it kind of depends on perspective a lot of times too, but I, I guess I'm I'm a lot less critical about a lot of movies if it's fun. I mean, how many times have you heard me say, "Oh yeah, I just ignore all that because it was a fun ride"? Yeah, I've heard you say that an awful lot. I've actually not movie wise, but I've been rewatching some in my bunker. I've been rewatching a lot of television shows that I've seen before. Imagine that. One of them was. Have you ever seen the show Lie to Me? I have not. Okay, it's a are you show. Lying to me? I'm not lying to you. It's I, I watch a lot of procedural television shows, which are not a genre of television that you enjoy. Absolutely not. Right. So it's basically somewhat of a criminal procedural show. Because I like to be entertained. Because you like to be entertained. But the hook for this show is that it's a criminal procedural show, but there are deception experts who look at like micro expressions in your face to tell what emotion that you're expressing to tell if someone is lying or not. The show itself, I was, as I was rewatching it, I enjoy it. But the thing I was noting as I was watching it is like a lot of the stories are really dumb. Like to the point of when the episode was over, it's like, what actually happened during an episode? It's like the story just like fell apart. Mm-hmm. And I'm a story guy. So I usually rip things apart for having bad storytelling. I enjoy that show. The storytelling is stupid. 
the premise is somewhat contrived, but it's always entertaining. But I can see if you look too close, it's like, eh, that's not the right way to use that science or they're overusing that particular forensics technique. Yeah, if you look a little bit too closely, you'll see a lot of problems. But if you just sit back and say, you know what, this isn't entertaining, that's a different experience. And I, I have a tendency to be less critical sometimes about television shows. And that's just one example that popped in my mind. It's just like, yeah, I on a lot of things I would normally uh, gauge a, a movie or television show in, I would say it's bad. But in this case, it was entertaining. So mm-hmm. it's good. Well, it, to be very openly honest... When we first came into talking about this, my, my first thought was, okay, let's look at Critics' Choice Award winning movies, and let's let's compare critic score versus audience score and see what's there. And we both started looking through and realized, going back to 2005, so over the last 14, 15 years, of all of them, I've only actually seen two of them. Three. Four. I've seen four of them in the last 15 years. And that's it. And if you look at the, the score differences... About half of them are pretty close within five, ten points of each other for, in Rotten Tomatoes. But the other half of them are, you know, it's in the 90s versus the 70s, critics versus audience. So it's really hit and miss. There isn't really a lot of consistency there. So then we went through and decided to just kind of do Google searches and look up movies that have drastically difference in, in differences in scores. And, and before you move on to that section, just on that critic's choice list, the thing that I found funny when we when you put that list together, like you said, you've only seen four of the movies on that list that have won Critics' Choice Awards for the last 14, 15 years. I've also only seen four of those movies. Are they the it, same four? They might not be. I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Check. I've seen Argo. Have not. I've seen The Departed. I have that. And I've seen Brokeback Mountain. That social network for me and Hurt Locker. No, I have not me. seen either of those. And, and a lot of the other movies that are on this list. And, it, and it, the thing that was funny to me is I think sometimes these critically acclaimed movies, I just don't go see them. Right. Kind of like what you said earlier. is like I just assume if it's critically acclaimed, I probably won't like it. <laughs> well, I guess if, also if you look at the list, like me looking at the list and seeing what the movies are about. Mm-hmm. I have zero interest in it. Yeah, like La La Land? Exactly. I have zero interest in seeing La La Land. Shape yeah. of Water? I don't want to watch incestual fish rape. I don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, so some of these movies, yeah, they have... Um... That was completely the wrong words. <laughs> <laughs> the Shape of Water, a story of incestual fish rape. Coming to a theater near you. <laughs> Winner of a Critics' Choice Award. Double feature with Finding Nemo. <laughs> but in that case, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. You hated it. I'm not a Quentin Tarantino fan. But right. And but like, I didn't like it nearly like the critics liked it, but I liked it. So I, I would say, so the critic score on that one is 85. The audience score 70. Right. I would probably myself give it like a 75-80. So I'm probably right in the middle there. But otherwise, I mean, that seems pretty right on. Most people that, that have watched it, for most audience goers, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to be way too slow moving and way too long for most people to sit and watch it. Yeah. Me, I don't mind length in movies. I actually really like it. I think for me, that gives you time to really more connect and dive into the characters. So I was fine with it. That's why I liked it a little bit more. But the reasons that critics liked it, not the reasons I liked it. So... Kind of goes into that same thing. What else did I say I saw? 
social network that got a 96 critic and an 86 audience score it was okay like i would probably give it a 60 maybe 65 it was all right I and mean, it was a movie i don't understand why people liked it yeah i mean i don't like facebook in real life so i wasn't gonna watch a movie about facebook <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah it's like yeah the Hurt Locker actually did look like an interesting movie. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. So some of these yeah. movies, it, I it just good. haven't. It got a 97 critic and an 84 audience. Again, I would probably give it 80, 85, somewhere in there. So I'm probably pretty right on with the audience score. It was good, but I mean, it's just a movie. Like, I saw it once. Again, if you listen to any of our podcasts before, I saw it once and never intended to see it again. So yeah. if that shows you... Yeah, if you didn't want to rewatch it, then that says something. Yeah, like some of the other the movies I've seen, I've seen Argo. It was good. It wasn't an amazing movie, but well, I enjoyed 96 it. 96 versus 90, what would you give it? Um, Probably high 80s. I mean, again, it yeah. was a good movie. I mean, it's also it's also another category of movie that I tend, at least, I tend to not watch. It's based on real-life events, and I'm mm-hmm. not really a big fan of that, if that's a genre of movie. So I, so I haven't watched that. But, I mean, I, I saw that movie, but I don't typically watch a lot of movies like that. Right. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what some of these movies are even about. Like, Roma? I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Spotlight? I have no idea. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these, were, and that was the one thing we were going through looking at these lists. Like, we don't even know what most of the nominated movies are, even. Oh, let yeah. Let alone the winners. Yeah, I think looking at, like, the Oscar-nominated films for just, like, the last five years, I think I may have seen one movie a year that was even nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. (laughs) Which shows maybe we're just not cool enough or understanding enough about these movies to to watch them. Or, you know, we have actual lives other than movies. We don't have time to watch all of them all the time. It's like, I, I like dramas and stuff but i tend to not like watching social issues movies like i'm into social issues in real life like real social issues but movies about social issues i tend not to want to watch them yeah well it goes back to our uh spoilers rewatchability i believe when we talk about or at least i was talking about I, i watch movies to escape real life not to be reminded of real life right and so that goes back to the entertainment side and when i'm watching a movie that's that's just reminding me how terrible the world is. That's well, not entertaining. I'm not going to spend my time watching it. I'm reminded of that all day, every day. So let's jump into uh, some of our thoughts on the other movies that we decided to put on this list. <laughs> First one to- on, on the list that came up a lot in our searches was Venom. 2018's Venom. You said you haven't seen it. I have not. I, I, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, so it's a little bit weird that I didn't see Venom. But I have yeah, I've still not seen it. I heard just to back up a bit. In general, I usually don't see movies in the theater. So when it was out in the theater, I was like, "Well, I'll just wait because I usually wait, even if it, unless it's something like Star Wars, I'm probably gonna wait until it leaves the theater." There's very few movies that I feel like I need to see in the theater. So I was like, "I'll wait," and I just kept hearing really bad things about Venom because you were listening to critics. Because I was listening to critics, which I usually ignore. But I just decided I'll eventually get around to it, but I still haven't. It gets overwhelming. Critics' voices are so loud right now. It gets over. You lose other people's voices in the critics' voices. Yeah. Kind of looking at you, regular media as well. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, twenty-eight is. I mean, the disparity. Twenty-nine, 29 to eighty. That's just a huge disparity. That's a huge difference. And you know what? I loved Venom. Okay. I think it is highly entertaining. Yeah, it lacks a little bit of storyline. Yeah, some of the parts of it aren't that great. It doesn't actually have Spider-Man in it the way that it should. But step back for a second. Was it funny? Yes. Was there action in it? Yes. Was it entertaining? Yes. Was fucking hell, what's his name? Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy. God, I kept thinking Tom Brady. I'm like, nope, that's the wrong Tom. <laughs> that would have been a different movie. <laughs> that would have been a very different movie. Would have been slightly deflated. But Tom Hardy did a fantastic job in it. It's, it's a very fun movie. I will probably eventually see it. Like when we're done recording? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> but those are the things that, I mean, there were some movies that we looked up that I wasn't surprised that the critics and the audience disagreed on, mm -hmm. but it was usually like maybe a 10 to 15% yeah, spread. Yeah. Some of these were really surprising. Like, this is just huge. It's That's strange. Huge, yeah. That 80% audience score and 29% from the critics is pretty glaring. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of almost want to read more into that and figure out why. But as you've probably kind of understood so far in this, I don't really care what critics think anymore. So I don't I don't know. Uh, then you jump into the last couple of Star Wars movies, The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. So The Last Jedi had a 90 critic score and a 43 audience score. I'm agreeing with the audience on that one. I, I would agree, too. Yeah, I was surprised that the critic score was so high. We've talked about this on previous episodes, but a lot of times it would, people were seeing Star Wars as a hyper fandom where there's a lot of the audience is very enamored with the lore or has a lot of personal history stretching back to their childhood about the film franchise in general. So you have a very different fan base than maybe just a regular movie. So it's not surprising that there were a wide disparity but yeah i would agree yeah. i didn't like the movie the things that critics called out in that movie was like it's not something that star wars fans would have latched on to and it was also sort of reading into things that i just didn't see especially as we had mentioned in previous episodes we knew that things were going to get not retconned because we've explained that in right. our other episode but things were going to change in the conclusion of the trilogy yeah well i think a lot of that was critics wanting something out of star wars that wasn't there so they yes. they saw it in that even though it wasn't actually there and that's what made them love it and then in the next one in rise of skywalker when they didn't get what they were reading into it then they hated it which that one got a 51 critics and an 86 audience which again i agree with yeah i agree too and that's like we just had in previous episodes those people who love the last jedi it's like you guys are going to be disappointed no matter what happens in the third yeah. movie yeah for sure so it's not surprising that 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 was there the next one had a pretty big gap, one neither of us have ever seen, Spy Kids, 93 to 46. Yeah, and again, we've never seen it, and it's just, it caught our eye because it kept coming up on lists of things that audiences loved and critics hated, and I have no idea why. Me either, because I've never actually seen it, so we can just skip past that because we haven't seen that one. But one that we have seen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. That one got a 60 critics and 85 audience. And again, I agree. It's right about that 85 where I, I enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. I will probably watch it again, but it wasn't great. It wasn't great. It's also another category of movie. I'm not generally into biopics. And again, it's a biopic of Freddie Mercury. Biopic? Biopic, not biopic. That's a different thing. Biopic. <laughs> a biopic. So Freddie Mercury and, and the history of Queen. So the critics were a little bit critical of the fact that in order to make the movie flow better... 
they had to change a few things. Right. Yeah, so, it's not historically accurate. Yeah, again. So, yeah, they were it, because it wasn't historically accurate and some things didn't happen exactly the way they do. But, I, again, I don't like the genre a lot, but sometimes you have to do that in biopics because real life isn't a screenplay. It doesn't flow right. neatly like that. Uh, so I think critics were critical of that, whereas the audience just were, was just responding to the fact that the movie was entertaining but also had good social issues in it too. Yeah. So I enjoyed and the good movie. music and good music. Yeah. If you, if you love the music, uh, music of queen, it's hard not to like Bohemian Rhapsody. The next one on the list is, is one of the largest gaps. <laughs> I just recently saw it. Rambo last blood. Now me, I like Rambo movies. And why do I like Rambo movies? Because sometimes I just want to see extreme violence for no reason. <laughs> and Rambo Last Blood is a lot of extreme violence for... Oh, well, actually, they have a pretty good reason for it in this one. Critics apparently didn't think it was a very good reason because they gave it a 27. And the audience gave it an 82. Now, as an audience member, when you're going to watch a Rambo movie, what are you expecting? A bunch of violence. A bunch of violence and sort of senseless entertainment. Yeah. And that's what you get out of it. Mm-hmm. If that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. Now, if you're a critic... And you're forced to go see a Rambo movie that you don't want to see because you don't like just random senseless violence. Well, you're not going to like this movie and you're probably going to give it a 27. This one you haven't seen, right? I have not, no. I've seen the, a lot of the other Rambo movies, but yeah, they're they're not movies that you should go into with high expectations. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not going in there thinking it's going to be like this great artistic movie. It's a badass getting revenge for something. Something happens, he gets angry, kills a bunch of people. Next one on the list, <laughs> I put on this list myself. I decided to look this one up in, in particular because of how often it comes up from me, Cannibal the Musical. Again, everybody should watch this movie with an open mind, knowing what it is ahead of time. 63 critic score, but it actually it has an 82 audience score. I'm surprised. I, I have not seen it, but I'm actually surprised that the critic score is that high. <laughs> Actually, I kind of am, too. (laughs) I was like, I would have thought that they would have ripped that movie a lot more. But, I mean, but it is kind of an artistic movie, though. Yeah. That does have a lot to it. There's, It is so funny if you give it a chance to be funny, Mm -hmm. but you got to trudge through it to give it the chance to get to be funny and and understand what's going on there. Uh, The next one is... Is that a movie or is it a TV show? I think I think it's a movie. It's on Netflix. I know it's Bright. on Netflix, but I didn't know if there was episodes or if it was a movie. I'm not sure. I think Maybe it is a movie. Have, uh, I... We're talking about Bright on Netflix. And that got a 28 critic score and an 83 audience score. And I did see a little bit about that where the critics were saying that the symbolism that they were using for racism just didn't quite work. It was way too obvious and things like that. But the audience came back with, Hey, it's a fun movie. There, there's a lot to it that's enjoyable. Yeah, it happens a lot of time in, in science fiction that aliens are used for an allegory for racial and cultural tension and as sort of a way to hide behind that. So the messaging behind the movie, apparently critics didn't like the way that they used those allegories. Again, I also have not seen it. Aliens yeah. or mutants or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, the audience has said that it, it's really enjoyable. I mean, it got right was almost like dead on arrival, like like the mm-hmm. week that it came out because on Netflix, because the critics were just basically saying that it was one of the most horrible things they had ever seen. 
Right. But over time, which actually I think also feeds into a lot of these things too, that the audience scores, I think, tend to go up over time. Like sometimes even after a movie leaves the theater, right. the critic score may have been low. It may have had a bad turnout at the box office, but after it goes to DVD, Blu-ray, or comes out on a streaming service, it actually finds a bigger audience and people start to enjoy it more. Almost uh, as if the critics saying that it's terrible gets people to not watch it right away, but then when people actually start watching it, they're like, oh, this is actually pretty good. Word gets out and people actually watch it later. So like right now, I'm actually, I'm in my mind, I'm putting Bright on my list of things to go watch, seeing what the audience score is. Because again, I've heard from audience people that it's actually not a bad movie. Yeah, sometimes this is more, these movies that have these big disparities make me want to actually see them just to see why mm-hmm. is there such a, a big discrepancy between critics and the audience or vice versa. It's usually, it's almost always that the critics hate it and the audience liked it more. Sometimes it's the other way around. But anytime it's a, that big of a discrepancy between the two, it does pique my interest. Right. That kind of leads us right into Godzilla King of Monsters. Similar to Rambo. You're going to a Godzilla movie. What are you going to see? Giant monsters fighting. What is Godzilla King of Monsters? Giant monsters fighting. You go to a Godzilla movie, that's what you're going to get, and that's what you get out of this movie. Critics apparently don't like giant monsters fighting because they only gave it a 42, whereas the audience gave it an 83. I enjoyed this movie. Uh, Again, I would give it right around 80, 85, somewhere around in there myself. It was fun. There's... It's giant monsters fighting and destroying Boston in the process. So you should really watch this movie, Jen. I I have seen this movie. Oh, you have seen this movie? Yeah, I have. I enjoyed this movie. I like the fact that it was uh, partially set in Boston and Boston gets ripped apart. I like the Fenway Park scenes. So, yeah, I actually did enjoy this movie. Obviously, like a lot of movies, a lot of like this stupid stuff happens. But, I mean, again, if you're looking for realism in a movie with giant monsters. Giant monsters fighting! <laughs> Why would you want realistic in that? Why would you not expect stupid? <laughs> so, like, people criticizing the quote-unquote science used in the movie. It's like, it's giant monsters. It's super, like, it's based on, I mean, the background quote-unquote source material is super campy movies from like the 70s a it's guy like, in a rubber suit destroying a model exactly it's like so if you're looking for like some type of like highbrow entertainment you're looking at the wrong thing so i don't giant know giant monsters fighting <laughs> exactly so i enjoyed it so yeah anyone who's looking for something i think you just have too high of standards for it or sometimes i don't know maybe again it comes back to critics if all his critics did is say that they liked it too, then maybe there wouldn't be conversations like this. So maybe it's almost intentional to. It could be to well, start. It could a be like general media. You start the controversy. You 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 overinflate things. It gets more attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, 2016 Suicide Squad, 27 to 59. Now that one, I would score it higher than a 59. I actually really like that movie. It's but again for what it is. Are you familiar with Suicide Squad going into it? Do you understand what it is? Because that's pretty much what you get out of that movie. If you're expecting this really deep movie, that's not what Suicide Squad's about. Well, I think it's also came around a part uh, time when the superhero fatigue and a whole bunch yeah. of superhero movies have come out. And why are DC movies worse than Marvel movies? I mean, so a lot of stuff 
was set against this. I also know that some diehard comic book fans didn't like the way some of the characters were portrayed, which yeah. also plays into it too. But if you just watch just the movie, yeah, it's an, it's an entertaining action movie. Right. A lot of dumb stuff happens, but there's also action and fights and stuff like that. It's superheroes. It's superheroes. Yeah, the ending's kind of stupid, but I mean, again, it's a superhero comic book based movie. So right. it's, I'm not saying it was a good movie. But it was entertaining. I had no desire to watch it again, but it wasn't bad. Almost identical to that, Batman v Superman, Dawn yeah. of Justice, and basically everything we just said, same thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it as much as you do, because I haven't watched it uh, repetitively as you, but there are, just like a lot of uh, superhero movies, there are some scenes in those movies that I think are great. Yeah, there's a lot of really good parts to it. It's just, I think people oh, get yeah. too hung up on the parts that don't work. Yeah, I mean, the overall story is probably weak and some of the parts don't work. But there are some scenes, like when Superman fights against them when he first gets reanimated. That scene. Wrong movie. Huh? That's Justice League. That's Justice League. Wrong movie. Sorry. Oh, yeah, this is this is the one before that. My bad. Yep. But this one, yeah, there was still some good scenes in this movie, too. There was. Yeah. I mean, people get hung up on, Martha, why do you say that name? But really, again, multiple viewings, you start to kind of realize why he said that name, why it affected him so much. There's things that happened in it that I think critics, in that one in particular, they got so hung up on what they didn't like, they completely stopped paying attention to actually understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people did that. You know, you get Doomsday looking like a amped up Ninja Turtle. <laughs> I don't know why they made him look like that. And that just got horribly distracting from what was going on. But if you repeatedly watch it and you can learn to ignore that part and see what else is happening. It's much more enjoyable. Yeah. There were things like the, the Jesse Eisenberg casting. I didn't like, but yeah, that's, that's terrible. I mean, so I mean, there were stuff like that. You could always see that and, and pick on, but right. It was still an enjoyable. Well, that's movie. what I'm saying. I mean, 62 audience score. I, I'd put it mid seventies maybe for me, but again, that's after multiple watchings and learning to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I could see the audience score being that low, but the critic score being 28. 28. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. I think they should get at least a 30 just for how it looks, other than Doomsday. Yeah. Uh, Alita Battle Angel. This is one, actually, you told me I should watch. I was confused why the ratings were what they are. Yeah, it's a 61 critic score and 93 audience score. So if you're audience, you should probably watch this movie. And I, I enjoyed it. It's it's a fun action movie. It's got a bit of drama. It's got a bit of romance to it. It's got some sci-fi elements to it. It's really got a lot going for it. Why didn't the critics like it? I don't know. I mean, I know that behind, I mean, the source material that it's based on is set up for at least one more movie, if not two more movies. Did so, it deviate a lot from the source material? I'm not as familiar with the source material, but I think I, think, I heard that at one point that that's why critics didn't. Partially I think like I think partly it it has kind of a flat ending because it's sort of setting up what's going to happen. Yeah, it next. leaves it wide open. Yeah, yeah. So there isn't much of a. It doesn't really feel like you get a satisfying conclusion, but everything up to that was enjoyable. Yeah, it does make me interested to see a sequel if they ever get around to making one yeah i'll, I'll um, definitely watch it i so actually yeah. probably see that in the theater yeah so so the re- i mean 61 to is not a, a horrible uh critic score compared to the other ones we've talked about but yeah i was surprised for a movie that was very well uh received by the audience it's a fun movie it's an entertaining mm-hmm. movie 
one that's not a fun movie or entertaining, Dark Phoenix. (laughs) So 2019's Dark Phoenix, that got a 23 critic, a 64 audience. I don't even know where I would begin. I would probably actually put it lower than the general audience score myself, but I've only seen it the one time. I just can't, I can't grip my teeth and watch it again yet. I'm sure eventually I will. I don't, I, I wish that they would just stop trying to make this, this is at least the second time that they've tried to do the Phoenix story in live yeah. action movies, which you is really letting the same guy do it. Yeah. And it's a great story in the comics and in the animated series. It's just done right. horribly in live action, which you could probably say about most X-Men storylines. Right. But yeah, there's nothing. I, I, I remember watching this movie and this was one of those movies where it's was like, I watched this movie because I had heard so much bad things about it, not just from critics, but even from audiences. Like, the movie can't be as bad as everybody says it is, real, is it? Was it? It was. Yeah, it was. It was bad. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is really bad. Yeah, this is one of two superhero movies that I just can't bring myself to watch a second time. Yeah, there is nothing redeeming about that movie. On the other side of things, this was actually a movie... This next one that I actually agree with the critics on. And that's kind of weird. We talked about it a little bit off mic. School of Rock. Good old Jack Black being Jack Blackie. A 91 critic score, a 64 audience score. I think the reason that a lot of audiences don't like this movie is because it focuses so much on the making of music that I think it gets boring. And Jack Black annoys people. Yeah, I think it's, it's like, that combination. Yeah, this is one of the few that we actually have on the list where the the we agree with the fact that the critic score is higher. And it's really weird. The critic score is 91%. So critics yeah. largely loved this movie, but the audience score, and again, like we like you just said, Jack Black is a bit of an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely Jack Black at his, I think you would set off Mike, his Jack Blackiest. Yeah. <laughs> And for me, I guess it's just Jack. Black. I mean, he is acting, but it's it's in early in his early days of quote unquote acting. It's right, just Jack yeah. Black being Jack Black. But I think it's a really funny movie. If you like Jack Black and you like music, it's an awesome movie. Well, for me, I really like. I don't. I find Jack Black quite annoying, but I also really respect Jack Black's talents. Mm-hmm. He is very good uh, at music, a musician. And I guess what I really like about I like movies that bring and spark a passion for music in myself mm-hmm. by bringing that kind of joy to others. And that's what this movie's about, is bringing the joy and passion of music to kids that need it. Right. And that and that's why I enjoyed this movie. It was a good movie for that. But again, if you're not really into music that much, I could definitely see why it, you didn't score it very high. Speaking of music, this next one is one of my top favorite movies of all time. And I, I mean, I love the story in general anyway. The Phantom of the Opera from 2005 with Gerard Butler and Emmy Rosam. 33 critic score and an 84 audience score. Now, again, you're going to Phantom of the Opera. What are you expecting? The music of the night. <laughs> Nicely put, my friend. Why do critics hate this movie? It tells a story. It Very minor changes just to make it fit in the movie. They, they, they moved a couple sequences around from the actual musical mm-hmm. uh, just to make it work in the movie better. I love this movie. 
It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember enjoying it because I love the Phantom of the Opera music and the live production of the Phantom of the Opera, which I've seen multiple times in my life. Me too. So, so I've enjoyed it. So yeah, it was weird that the audience, the I know I agree with the audience score liking the movie. It's weird that the critics didn't like it. Right. I, don't I think they were, what were they expecting out of it? I don't know. I mean, if they were trying to to see like the live theatrical performance put into a movie, that wouldn't make sense. Right. So I mean, there were adjustments that needed to be made in order to turn this into a movie, which again, or were they expecting the book to be adapted into this movie? Because I mean, that's very different. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if it was something about... I read a book. <laughs> and not a comic book. I did. I, I read... <laughs> a very good friend of mine found out how much I love the musical and bought me the book as a gift. Cool. And I actually read it. One of the 5% of the books I have on my shelf that I actually read. <laughs> <laughs> then we get Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We're talking about the 2005 Johnny Depp at his Johnny Deppiest. Yes. I am not... Generally speaking, a Johnny Depp fan, but that movie, I was a huge fan of the original yeah. movie. Gene Wilder. Yeah. But why people didn't like this movie or why this movie got, I think maybe in this case it was being compared too much with the original movie would be I, my guess. I think that's part of it. And it was also Johnny Depp. This was kind of, like I said, he was at his Johnny Deppiest where he, he was almost the same oddness in a lot of his movies. Where one of the things that I love about Johnny Depp is his acting range. He's so he's able to pull off so many different styles. That's what I've always loved about him. And then in this movie, he's just being weird for being weird's sake. But another thing I really like about it is I felt like this movie fit the book a little bit better. It captured the creepiness a little bit better mm-hmm. that I felt anyways when I read the book. That's what I felt it was. So I, I, I really enjoyed this movie. And Um, this, again, is one of those rare things from our list where the critic score is higher than the audience score, and we actually agree with the critics because we we both like this movie, but audiences didn't. And and it's definitely like a lot of Johnny Depp movies. He's a quirky, uh, eccentric actor who takes on quirky, eccentric roles, and sometimes it just annoys the crap out of people. Right. And I think people were expecting Gene Wilder, and they didn't Yeah. And the fact that the critics seem to like the modern uh, remake of it and the audience didn't, I'm not sure why. But yeah, it's a it's a good movie. And the next one on our list, I definitely agree with the audience and you agree with the <laughs> with the critics on this one. The 2005 War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise and doing something of things. I don't know what well, he was doing there. I, I honestly... I watched the movie when it came out. I think I saw it in theaters. I thought it was stupid. Never saw it again. So maybe I'm remembering it wrong. I've changed. Maybe I would like it better now, but I doubt it. I mean, The War of the Worlds has been done as a movie multiple times, and it's an interesting H.G. Wells book. I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan in general. Like, there's a lot of movies that, and this is not one of them, a lot of the typical Tom Cruise movies are, I'm the best at what whatever thing it is I do. Stop trying to kill yourself on screen, Tom Cruise. (laughs) This is a very different type of Tom Cruise movie, but I enjoyed it. I like science fiction movies in general. I thought it was a reasonably good adaptation. I mean, obviously, a lot of the older movies are hard to compare it to because they're older. Right. But Tom Cruise is also one of those actors that, that some people just don't resonate with. 
or maybe yeah. because it was a very different kind of Tom Cruise movie than some of his that others could, be. could have been. For me so, on this one, all I really ever, all I remember thinking is hide, run, hide, run, hide, run. What's going on? Like, why do I care about running and hiding? <laughs> Yes, so it was a different, and again, another one of those. Oh, look, three movies of people walking. (laughs) Sorry, that's a whole different thing. So, yes, another one of those rare movies where the critic score is higher than the audience score. Although we are split on this one, I agree, and think it's a good movie. Mike is not. And we have 2013's Sharknado with a 78 critic score and a 33 audience score. And I can't think of a movie that's worse. <laughs> By print, but maybe that's why it's good. And this is one of those weird things. Normally, a bad movie that is popular is the opposite, that critics hate it, but the audience love it because it's a cult classic. This is opposite. The critics actually have this at 78%, while the audience has it at 33%, which, which to me was weird. I would, I would have thought it would have been the other way around. I am not saying that this is a good movie. Sharknado is awful. I've never actually seen as it. As is the entire franchise. But it's one of those movies that it's so bad, it's good. And the fact that it it it's not... Sometimes there are bad movies that are bad unintentionally. Like they're trying to make a good movie and they messed up so badly that it turns into a bad movie. This movie leans into its right. own absurdity. It knows exactly what it's doing, and that's why it's hilarious. Right. They made the movie <laughs> for people to just mock and make fun of together. Yes. And they did it perfectly. And they did it perfectly. And and the male lead for this movie, the real reason that he made this movie was he needed one more movie in order to qualify for like health insurance benefits for his children <laughs> through Screen Actors Guild. So he just made a movie to make a movie because he need- needed to make one more movie. So he didn't care. He knew he was signing on to do a really terrible movie, as did Tara Reid, who plays the female lead in this. It's like, it, there are some talent, quote-unquote, talented actors <laughs> in this movie, but you don't go to this movie expecting the movie to be good. You're not expecting to see good acting or realistic action. But it's it's a hilarious movie. I'm not a big fan of Dumb Funny, but I like Sharknado. I can't watch all of the movies in the entire... I think there's like five or six movies now. I don't think I would go that deep into the catalog. But the first Sharknado movie is something I would recommend and definitely agree with the critics. Fair Again, enough. one of those rare exceptions where the critics' score is higher than the audience score. I would watch it with a group of people so I can make fun of it with them. I'm not oh, going to watch a, it by myself, and I'm pretty much always by myself, so I probably won't watch it. It's entertaining enough, but it's definitely best to watch with friends so yeah. that you can make fun of the movie while you're watching it. And the final one on our list is another one of my favorite movies of all time that makes me want to punch critics in the face. 1999's Boondock Saints. I have actually not seen this movie. And I'm going to punch you in the face as well. It's always one of those movies that's like, I need to watch that movie. It's fantastic. But, I mean, again, if you're looking for, like, a super artistic movie, not the movie for you. But if you want righteous fury and violence and hilarity, this is the movie for you. And it is one of the most perfect movies of that. And that got a 25 critic score and a 91 audience score, which I think puts it at the the biggest divide of the entire list that we have. Yes, 
And again, whenever I see, I, I always had this on the list of movies I should watch, but anytime I see this big of a difference between the critic score and the audience score, it's like, there's got to be a reason I should watch it just to see why. You should watch it. It mm-hmm. is very, very good. And there is definitely not a sequel for you to watch. Don't watch the sequel. Please don't watch. Promise me you will not watch the sequel. <laughs> the sequel's bad? Uh, yeah. They tried way too hard to copy the first one, and it didn't work. I, I, I need to give it another chance, I think. But, yeah. Really, it's uh, for me, it is the female lead that tried very, very hard to copy. Uh, what's his name? Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. Yeah. She tried way too hard to kind of capture his magic, and you can't capture Willem Dafoe's magic. He's very unique, and she tried, and it failed, and it ruined the movie, which otherwise probably could have been a good movie. Well, it seems like the critics hated it as much as they hated the first one, but the audience score dropped off precipitously. Yeah, yeah, the audience score 58 on that one, and I I probably put it in the 60s. Uh, Yeah. It's on my list to watch again. That's all I really have. I, I I think I said everything that I want to say. I mean, critics really seem to be overly critical on fun movies and not critical enough on movies that really have nothing to them other than just the art. And there's no story or no entertainment value to it. They're also sometimes overly praising of movies that are high concept and yeah. highly artistic but don't really have much other else in terms of redeeming value or entertaining value. Right. It's also what, like I mentioned off the top, I usually avoid social issues movies because sometimes I feel like critics give social issues movies high ratings, maybe out of some type of liberal guilt. Like yeah. they're supposed to like this, so I must give it a really high rating. We're in Hollywood, <laughs> so we have to say this or we'll get kicked out of Hollywood. Right. It's like, oh, it's, it's a movie about... I don't know, slavery, it's a 90% score. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Or any type of like social issue that is maybe to potentially polarizing will get a, a high score. And also sometimes of the biopics too, sometimes right, historical right. figure movies automatically get a, a rubber stamp from critics because it must be good because of, of the subject matter. Right. And I mean, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't watch those movies either. I mean, a lot of those, they, they make very good points. And... and there are times where I'm like, hey, I need to know a little bit more about this situation. Maybe I should watch a couple of these movies or documentaries about this to get a different understanding, to round out my ideas a little bit more. And I do do that. Then I'm not watching it to be entertained. I'm watching it for information. That's a whole different thing. Well, I think it's also just a, almost a fundamental flaw sometimes in, in those types of movies because there's it's a movie, so it still has to be entertaining. And that sometimes can take away from the serious message or the social yeah. issue. So sometimes that isn't conveyed as well as it might otherwise otherwise could have been. Right. Sometimes for me, it's just like, make a documentary. If that's what you want right. to talk about, make a documentary. Because it seems like it's a subject that deserves to be treated seriously and investigated that way. Making an entertainment, sometimes yeah. this doesn't fall. It falls flat to me. And sometimes when you do it that way as well, if if it's just entertainment, as somebody that needs to watch that stuff to round out my opinion, I'm watching going, well, how much of this is, is fake and made up for entertainment? How much of it's real? If it was a documentary, I'm more apt to think, okay, this is actually what's going on. 
Now, it's not to say that that sometimes, I mean, there are things that people would only watch if it was entertainment. That's true. Uh, so sometimes background information, even though it is put into an entertainment medium and dramatized, dramatized, uh, it's still dramatized, dramatized, <laughs> That would be something, again, the best example that popped into my mind is the first episode of Watchmen, the HBO mm-hmm. uh, television series, which confused a lot of people. But now uh, we're actually recording this the day after Juneteenth. We're recording this on June 20th. So spoiler alert. Sorry, this isn't really giving anything away about the Watchmen television series if you haven't seen it. But there is a an entertainment historical reenactment of the massacre of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, mm. Oklahoma, in the first episode of The Watchmen. For some people, like myself, I completely forgot about that horrible part of American history. I never learned it to start with. It's not in history books. It's not something that's often taught in school. I think I briefly heard about it in college, but it's not something that really sticks in my mind. So I was like, wow, it's like, what, what is this and why is it in here? It's like, but then when you look it up, it's like, hey, you know what? That was pretty historically accurate. Obviously, it was, uh, there were dramatic elements mm-hmm. in terms of the specific characters that we didn't follow through the rest of the story. But at the heart of it, it did relatively accurately depict a horrible moment in American history. And it did a great thing by bringing that to light, too. Right. Because like we, like we were just saying, I mean, that's not something a lot of us know about. That happened. I, I, I remember watching them like, holy shit, that actually happened. And then I went over like, holy shit, that actually happened. What the fuck is wrong with white people? Yeah, exactly. Because when I first saw it, it's like, it's kind of weird that we're starting in the 1920s in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's like, this sounds vaguely familiar. It's like, holy shit, this is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they took it in an entertainment direction. They didn't. Right. They didn't like lessen its social impacts right but right. it was still in a television series that was not a documentary series it was right a, com- right. a, a comic book influenced or uh, source material influenced story that they ran with so i'm not saying that if you have stuff like that i won't watch it or that's not good to put those things in entertainment right. sometimes right. that's the only way that people will watch them because if- i'll admit i just said put stuff in documentaries i don't watch documentaries <laughs> i do i do sometimes not often but i do but I, I think kind of where you're going with that is if that first episode, if there was an entire series or an entire movie just about that incident mm-hmm. and they tried to make it entertaining, that would be terrible. Yes. But if there was a documentary on that, that would be something worth watching. Right. Did I just sum up everything that we were just trying to say about that? I, I agree because sometimes and it's a terrible analogy, but sometimes I, I feel like it's. In other television series, I've seen them cheaply use sort of like survivors of con- Jewish concentration camps in World War II as a sort of a cheap plot device. Yeah. Again, making not making Nazi, as we've mentioned on in our Indiana Jones episode, making Nazis the bad guy is like the easiest bad guy you could do. But I've seen that overplayed as a cheap storytelling trick from an entertainment perspective in other television shows and movies. But you can do it like they did in Watchmen and have something be relatively historically accurate and not be diminished by being included in a piece of entertainment. Fair enough. Well, that is a terribly low point to end this episode on. So let's 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 end this. Jim, what are you watching now? 
Uh, Castlevania. Have you seen Castlevania on Netflix? I am unfamiliar with the... I know that it's based on a video game. I'm not a video game guy, so I have no idea if it's accurate to the mm. quote-unquote source material. But it is very entertainment, uh, very entertaining. It's incredibly violent. <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> so I enjoy it. I think it's it's very well done. Whether or not it's accurate to the source material or not, I have no idea. But I'm I'm enjoying watching Castlevania. All right. I have been. I started trying to. I started over again with Westworld, trying to get through that because it's it's really good. But I just don't have the time to sit and watch it a lot of times and. I heard it's it's really. I only got like halfway through the first season when I first started wa- trying to watch it many years ago. I decided I needed to start over because I don't remember what all happened. And I've also I'm really excited about F is for Family. I don't know if that's something you've watched yet. Have you, have you seen? I have it? not. I've heard good things. It's on Netflix. It's Bill Burr. So funny. It's so good. I highly recommend that. It is animated. It's very vulgar. It's kind of about kind of about Bill Burr's life when he was a child, but he plays his dad. Ah, uh, okay. And it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I've heard good things. There's quite a few interesting like animated shows that are out now that mm-hmm. I I would like to go and, and watch. That's on my list that I've heard good things about. All right. Well, I think that wraps up. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think that's about it. Basically, we generally tend to side with the audience over the critics. And probably the easiest way to get me interested in watching something is if critics trash it. <laughs> Because I, I might not agree with everything. Uh, if it's something that audiences love, but critics also love, I pretty much tune that out. Like we said, probably why I haven't seen a lot of Academy Award nominated movies or winning movies. So when critics in the audience are in agreement, that makes me ignore the situation too. Yeah. But it always piques my interest when there's a disparity between critics and the audience, especially if it's something that audiences like a lot more than the critics. Well, holy shit, we agree on something. The world is ending. We already knew that. (laughs) It is time to go. We'll see you next time. Take care of each other. Bye-bye. Back to the bunker. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.